Let's take a little time to reveal The prehistoric stories that the earth once concealed Mix them all together on this ancient land It's time to spread some paleo jam Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Paleo Jam. My name is Michael Mills. I am your host for this most spectacular podcast. And today, uh, sometimes we have one guest, sometimes we have two. Today we have three. Three students from the University of Adelaide. And we are in the lab at Narracourt Caves. So we're surrounded by all kinds of awesome things. Um, with me is... I'm going to try and get the surname right. <laughs> I was supposed to practice this beforehand, but oh well, here we go. Steph Masaki. Close. Close. <laughs> Masachi. Masachi. Right, okay. Hi, Steph. How are you going? Good, thanks. Um, Caitlin Mudge. Yes, yes, just that. That's, <laughs> yeah. that the sound you heard was her nodding. Yep. Right. <laughs> and Isabel Donato. Hello. And um, you are all students, paleontology students at the University of Adelaide. And the reason that we wanted you three is because you're the only three that were awake this morning. <laughs> <laughs> but aside from that, is that you're all at different places in terms of your, your studying. Mm -hmm. And we thought, oh, how it started, how it's going kind of stuff. So just each of you, maybe starting with from, from my left round to the right, just, just a short sentence on, on where you're at. Isabella. No worries. So I'm towards the end of my honours year and I'm just about to present my final presentation in a week. So fun, exciting stuff there. Yeah, cool. So towards the end of honours. Um, Caitlin? Yes, so I'm very towards the end of my PhD. About two months very away. towards. Very towards the That's end. That's the scientific description for it, isn't it? Yes, <laughs> yes. There's, there's no real end to it. It just keeps going. But two months away from submitting... Currently writing my thesis. But two ish, yeah. Because so it, it, it's, it's always two ish months. Yeah, isn't it? and then you get to the end and you think, oh, maybe another week or so. Oh, I've got it. Well, I mean, is, is there a, like, that two months, can it turn into three months or five yeah. years? So the very, very hard date is the end of March. Okay, that's, so there is a. Four years. There is a, like, if you, if you yeah. do not have it done by then. Yeah. It's not the end of the world. So there's still a possibility of, like, silly. look, yeah. it's four years. But you just get a black mark against your name if you go past four years. Cool. Steph, where are you at? I am just starting my honours. I'm right at the beginning. Um, so you're the baby. Yeah. But you're not because you're older than the other two. Yeah, I believe I am. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you're at the beginning of honours. Yes. Yep. Okay. So starting with you and going the other way, what, what are you focusing on in honours? I am going to be trying to clarify the taxonomy of the Pleistocene devil and trying to work out how um, the living Tasmanian devil fits into basically the phylogeny of the family tree and trying to determine if the living Tasmanian devil is um, a separate species to the extinct giant devil or whether they are the same species and we've just seen it get smaller over time. Because so. it's an interesting question, that isn't it? Because where we're sitting at the moment, there's this brilliant picture behind us, and and it's got diprotodons, it's got giant short-faced kangaroos. People often think that oh, okay, all the the animals back then they just shrunk, and it's like well, no, 
the animals that are alive now were living with those. So in terms of if we were to put devils into that artwork, the question is, do you put the extinct ones in alongside the ones that currently exist? Or is it just the extinct ones are there? Well, because they're not really extinct, they've just got smaller. Yeah, so already there is a picture, within the picture there is some devils, but I'm actually not sure whether they were put in as the extinct giant devil or uh, whether they are just drawn in as the living Tasmanian devil because they were on the mainland. So lots of sort of questions. So basically my honours is just trying to determine the taxonomy first and then hopefully, fingers crossed, can go on to do a PhD and answer a lot more questions more regarding questions. them. Because you've got at least four years, four years and a bit, yeah. to, to, <laughs> to do the PhD. Okay, Caitlin, four years is a long time to study a thing. Yes. Isn't it? Not well. But you can become quite specialised in that, and that's the point of a PhD. So what's yeah? What's the Just scope? First off, four years is not a very long time in science terms. It's True. really short when you're actually in it. But so I, yeah, quite different to the rest of these guys. I work on ancient DNA, so I don't actually work in the caves. Um, but basically, I get the DNA from the samples that they pull out of the caves, and with that, I'm answering a few questions about. Um, Species, distributions, phylogeography, so how genetics relates to the geographic location of these animals. Um, And I'm looking at, in particular, thylacines, Tasmanian devils, uh, western quolls, and native rodents that are actually found in Naracor. So that's my tie to this place. Okay, so ancient DNA, how ancient? Because DNA degrades, doesn't it? And and you end up with gaps and junk and stuff and you so, so how how clear can you be so yeah obviously so dna is very fragile so it breaks down quite quickly um the oldest sample i have is about thirty-five thousand years in terms of ancient dna preservation it is still quite young um up until about a few years ago, the oldest sample was 500,000 years old. Currently, it's 1.6 million, and even that is like really pushing the boundaries of ancient DNA. Um, and, and that that 1.6 million yep. year old DNA is it is it enough to go? Oh, we know what this is, or is it? Yes, yeah, so it's from a mammoth. It's, okay. it's from a mammoth. So yep. they, they had the mammoth. Um, I think it was a skull. I'm not entirely sure, but it was frozen in the permafrost. Okay, and so that process in itself. Yeah is going to have made it more likely to have been able to preserve it. Yeah, so the best um, preservation conditions are places that are cold, dry and dark um, yeah. and are stable conditions through time. Um, and so obviously permafrost is perfect for that, whereas Australia is not so perfect. It's warm and dry. Yeah, so that you know number comes down quite a lot. Yeah. I think the oldest from Narracourt currently is about 20,000 years old. Yeah, um, and there's there's nowhere where there's frozen T-Rex meat, is no. there? <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry, Jurassic Park fans, ain't gonna yeah, happen. not gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, we were talking about that just the other day, weren't we, where yeah. part of the problem is that there are, even if you manage to get some of it, mm. some some form of DNA, there's, there are gaps in it. Yes. And you don't know what the gaps are. And that's the issue. So you don't know when, whereas in the movie they say, oh, we've just filled it with frog DNA, which is probably a really dumb idea because yeah. it's an amphibian, but you don't know what the gaps are. So you yeah. don't know what to put in there. Yeah. So DNA is very highly conserved through species and through evolution. It's quite highly conserved, but there are still places that 
are divergent enough that you can tell the difference between species and even between generations within a species. Um, and so usually what we do is we'll use a reference. So in the case of like a mammoth, you would use an elephant reference. Um, and you sort of think, oh, well, that looks like that, and that looks like that, but there's bits that don't look the same and that have changed mm. through those two. And dinosaurs are obviously way too far diverged from anything we've got now, and so it's hard to tell what those diverged bits look like. And they're the bits that make the T-Rex a T-Rex. Yeah. And it's hard to recreate yeah, those bits. So, sorry, sorry, Jurassic Park fans. Not sorry. Um, <coughs> Isabella. Yeah, so while these guys are working predominantly on the mammals, I am actually on to the reptile side of things. Um, specifically, I'm working on monitor lizards, which many in Australia know as goannas. And basically my study is uh, something that hasn't really been done before. So for the first time, we're trying to identify individual bones within a skull of monitor lizards because nobody knows what the... Uh, Reptiles in the a lot of the reptiles in the deposits are especially the goannas. It's um, always we think it might this might be this based on the size, but it's got a CF on the end of it, which basically means not really sure. Um, yeah, so my job is to clarify those identifications and correct any that are incorrect. So yeah, so to to each of you, what. And we'll get to, you know, we'll, we'll, actually, we'll, we'll go back in time a bit. Mm-hmm. Were any of you the dinosaur kid? Yes, I was. Yes. I've got two hands. Oh, no. uh, Miss DNA in the middle. Like, no, <laughs> no, I had the power to create Jurassic Park with my DNA, but no. <laughs> I am the one that destroyed Jurassic Park and the ideas of it. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> There's a lot of fist shaking from the others. <laughs> So, okay, so I can confirm, Stefan Isabella, the dinosaur kid, mm-hmm. was, it, was it dinosaurs or just prehistoric stuff? It was dinosaurs, wasn't it? Uh, mostly dinosaurs. Um, I do remember when I was, I think I was about six or seven maybe, um, with my parents, like we came down to the southeast region and we came to Narrabool <coughs> and I just thought it was great that we used to have like these giant things. I didn't really understand them. I couldn't pronounce any of the names. Um... But yeah, so I, I still liked the megafauna, but I think then going back home, um, there wasn't a whole heap of you know knowledge that you can get from like about them when you know back when I was a kid. Whereas like dinosaurs was a lot more accessible. So yeah, yeah. So for me, like I was I was a grown up. But I mean, I, I liked dinosaurs as a kid, but for me, it was reading Future Readers by Tim Flannery, mm-hmm. and that came about because I happened to accidentally sort of do a radio interview with David Bellamy, the English naturalist, and we were walking around the St Kilda mangroves. And there were a series of things that led to that happening. Um, like sliding door moments. And we started talking about books. And he said, oh, you've got to read, because he spoke like this, he said, you've got to read The Future Eaters. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I read it, I'm like, what? I, I'd never learned. I mean, okay, I'd been to Narracourt as a kid, but nobody taught us about these animals. You know, and I think that's the, the great thing about somewhere like the Narracourt Caves. It's the great thing about all of the work that you're doing is, is that you're looking, using Australian prehistoric critters to unlock stories that are relevant to the rest of the world, but are particularly irrelevant, relevant to us. Um, 
Isabella, you're the dinosaur kid as well. Yes. So I've just gone straight past Caitlin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not right. Dinosaur kids only. Um, <clears throat> yes. So um, to this day, in fact, I just had an innate f- fascination with Tyrannosaurus Rex because even though it's very popular, it's incredibly weird for an animal. Um, it's pretty. Let's be honest. It's pretty cool. It is, and in some sections of the skull, strangely, well, I think mammalian, because a lot of it's so fused to compensate for that incredible bite force and stuff. Um, but I also really like to try bites as well, and um, apparently there's a story of me being the only kid who knew what a trilobite was when someone who turned out to be Jim Galing was asking, oh, what's this fossil? And there were adults and children around, and I was the only one who was like, it's a trilobite. You were three? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was uh, six at the time. Six. That's pretty cool. It's, it's yeah. pretty cool. Okay, Caitlin. <laughs> we better just, just tell us what, what were you as a child? <laughs> <laughs> well, my... I mean, what, what, what were your, your, your interests? My one like measuring stick is. Does anyone remember those ology books? Yeah. Yes. I had yeah. the wizardology book. Yeah. No. The wizardology. Wizardology. So like magic and science. So you wanted to be a wizard. Not necessarily. I Hence, just... you wanted to be a wizard. Hence, working with DNA so you can reconstruct animals from the past yeah. like magic. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. Well, I, so, so wizardology. Yeah. Wizardology. I yeah, I was into fantasy stuff, so I still am. Um, but I had actually, the first time I came to Narrow Court was in my undergrad's third year camp. So I hadn't really dealt with this stuff. So, so, so the degree you were doing, mm-hmm. what was it? I was doing a Bachelor of Advanced Science. And yep. the advanced just means it was more geared towards research. Yeah. That was the only difference. Um, but in year 11, we had to do a essay on some science topic. And a friend said, oh do the extinction that's up and coming and I went, oh all right then and i watched a 10 minute video of a thylacine the extinction which obviously now you know i understand that it's not possible but at the time i thought oh that's amazing that's what i want to do so from year 11 to now which was eight nine years ago i think yeah that's been my goal to work on thylacines so so yeah i'll ask the question <laughs> If we have, if we get the capacity to bring them back, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's a really challenging question because it's like we're just bringing back one individual. If we've only got the DNA of one, yep. we're just bringing back, you know, Bob the thylacine yeah. multiple times. Yep. Bob just becomes a circus freak. Yeah, I mean that that's the that's the that's the whole problem with this thing, isn't it? Yeah. Well, there's there's lots of <coughs> caveats. Well, that's part that. of the problem. It's yeah. part of the problem. Yeah. Like you're just bringing back one, and then <coughs> what do you do when that one dies out again? You, you're left with another extinct population. Um, it's yeah, the technology just isn't quite there. Even though they went extinct about a hundred years ago, it's still too long. Um, Do you? I mean, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because like, because bringing T-Rex back, not that you ever could, but if, yeah. if you is a terrible idea. We found out with cane toads and rabbits and yeah. foxes in Australia. Yeah. What happens when you introduce animals into an ecosystem that they're not suited? They're to. not suited to. Yeah. But is a hundred years, and, and that's probably a, 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 interested in, 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 in everyone's view, mm-hmm. is a hundred years too long? If we all of a sudden, overnight, major discoveries happen, and oh my goodness, we can bring back 
a bunch of thylacines genetically slightly different to each other. So it's not just it's not just Bob. Um, it's yeah. Bob, Mary, Susan, uh, Ishmael, <laughs> and all of them. Um, would we do that with thylacines? It, it's hard to tell. Um, you know, Tasmania's not had an apex predator that big. But it's only 100 years, which is not a yeah, lot of time, it, is it? Well, it's enough of a time, because ecosystems are quite fragile. Yeah. And introducing an apex predator, even Tasmanian devils are, you know, and cats and foxes. They're doing enough damage. So if you ecosystems. get rid of the cats and foxes, then you've got the thylacines. Because that's, that's yeah. part of the problem. So we did some work a few years ago where they introduced, like Khaleesi went berserk, mm. and it wiped out the rabbits. And so the wedge-tailed eagles where we were up at the Davenport Ranges have gone, yeah. uh, what do we eat? Oh, black-flanked rock wallabies. Yeah. So there was a local extinction of these black-flanked yeah. rock wallabies. Yeah. So they went extinct because the rabbits went extinct. What they should have done is gone, right, okay, introduce Khaleesi and release the bilbies. <laughs> it's, yeah. that, it's, it's that thing, we, we, we're not very good yeah. at understanding the need for the integrated Well, it's a bit stuff. like the wolves in Yellowstone. Mm-hmm. You know, they took away the wolves, the deer mm-hmm. population went nuts, so then the vegetation went down. And so all the other things that were like And it was just this flow-on effect, and yeah. it's just, it's not quite as simple as introducing them back. So, Steph... Mm-hmm. Um, Devils. Yes. Who currently look after Tasmania. Yeah. How would you feel if thylacines kind of were hanging well, out? So one of the um, sort of rabbit holes that I've gone down, because I think we can all agree that we do that quite a bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, because there's basically like um, a push to try and get um, from some conservation groups Tasmanian devils back onto the mainland. We know that they were here. We've got the fossil record of them. Um, and basically the thought is to try and reintroduce them to parts of the mainland to try and help curb the fox and um, feral cat populations and things like that. Um, so I guess like sort of my thoughts, and I might just be a little bit biased because I, I like my little devils. Um, like if we've already got, like we kind of messed up with the thylacine. We know that. Oh, yeah. Um, but <laughs> Let's put a bounty and kill them all. Mm-hmm. And, oh, a month before the last one, the number of dies, let's protect them. Exactly. <laughs> like, why don't we sort of go, all right, yeah, we made mistakes. Let's try and protect the species that we have. Yeah. You know, um, down in Tasmania, they do have the devil um, facial tumour disease. So if we can get a population that back on the mainland potentially that hasn't been exposed to that disease doesn't carry it um you know like we we could save a species instead of necessarily bringing a species back if the tasmanian devil can fill that ecological niche enough um then why don't we focus a bit more on that than trying to just bring something back from the dead that's going to have so many more problems it's going to cost so much more money because that and that's part of the key isn't it there's there's only so much money for research and conservation and it's like if you're taking all the money to try and bring back Bob, mm. then everything the research, else everything else suffers. Yeah. If it was like an unlimited budgety thing, but it's not. Is it's it? not unlimited, so yeah. Isabel, your thoughts, like, because so and and so you're trying to identify all of these different goannas. Yes. Um, that are all dead. Oh, actually. Actually, <laughs> oh, actually. oh, newsflash. Newsflash. 
So the species that we're finding still exist in Narakor today. Yeah. Um, except for one, which is our Megalania, um, which is only one humerus and potentially another bone <laughs> found. Um, but there is something, there are plans similar for the Komodo dragon to be reintroduced. Yeah, so Australia. Tim Flannery in, in Future Eaters talks yes. about that, and that was one of the first times I'm like, that's more than 200 years ago, more than 100 years ago, though, isn't it? That, that's yes. quite a long time ago. And uh, it they makes me a they bit nervous. <laughs> they will eat whatever they can get their <laughs> mouth on. Um, yeah, they're not that fussy, and they're pretty good at pest control, actually. Feral pigs in Komodo Island and all of that, they love them. Um, the problem is that, they're as big. you said, they're big animals that would probably take down our uh, medium-sized mammals. Um, so it, if it were to happen, it would be more sensible to have the integrated fenced-off approach, see how they perform in a certain patch of land amongst other animals. Yeah, but um, we know once you release things, then things, nature has a habit of... Getting out. Getting yes. out and being chaotic <laughs> and life finds a way. Life finds a way. It does. It does. Yeah, I just, I just think it's too hasty to be like, see ya, and release them. I think there needs to be more research on the ecological consequences of doing reintroducing something that's been missing. The large predator niche is only kind of filled by the dingo. Yeah. And I say kind of because a lot of it's fenced off. Yeah, because we don't have them where we are. Yes. Here in Narago Valley. Oh, not, uh, not, not this far south. No. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm interested, just, just change tack for a minute. So, Caitlin, with a couple of months-ish mm -hmm. left on your PhD, mm -hmm. what advice do you have for Izzy, who's the next level, so working on your honours, yeah. in terms of, and, and Steph will probably get some stuff from this if you're wanting to go down that path. Yeah. What advice to, to Izzy, who's just about finishing her honours and probably thinking PhD? Yeah. Am I right? Yeah? yeah. Well, you know, I had the same thing when I started. Everyone's like, do this, do that. And I'm like, yeah, no, all right. I won't do that. And then at the end, it's like, no, I probably should have done that, shouldn't I? So it's like, if I tell you, you're still going to just be like, nah, it's all right. So, no, no advice. <laughs> no, no, so my, my biggest piece of advice is take time off. Take yeah. more time off. I've realised that lately. And that's before? Even during your PhD. Yep. So you've got paid and unpaid leave. I was in this mindset that I just need to get through it as quick as I can. Rush through it, get it done, work 24-7, seven days a week. And then now towards the end, I'm, you know, I went straight through year 12, undergrad, honours, PhD. No, no gap year, no nothing. Mm -hmm. And I'm exhausted now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm tired. so knackered. <laughs> and I recently took three weeks off and thought, oh, I should have been doing this a lot more often. Did you find, because time mm. off, time away, like if I'm writing a show, I'll research, yeah. research, let it bounce around in my head. Mm -hmm. You assume that the neurons are doing things. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then like I'm going to Brisbane on Monday and I've got lots of spare time to sit down and in the hotel room and just write and yeah. write. So... I think, you, yeah, it's a really good point. Having that time off yeah. allows your brain to play and think and, yeah. Yeah. and, and stuff. So, yeah, that's that's Yeah, absolutely. Advice. Just taking time off as, as much as you can, whenever you can, is, 
is so beneficial because it's like the the work that you get done once you take time off is going to be better than the work that you would have done if you're just trying to push through it and yeah. get through it and survive. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be better it's, quality. It's, it's, it's better quality because you've got more thinking time, you've yeah. got more reviewing time. Yeah. Um, Izzy. Yes. Your advice to Steph. <laughs> My. <laughs> so you're towards the end of honors. Your. Yes. Beginning. Beginning. So. Um, my advice is to expect things to not go to plan and accept it. I, um, it's very typical of honours for things to go left, right and downwards. Oh, I, get I, I think that's a pretty good um, strategy for all life things. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But, but um, good to hear, right? But also to, if, to communicate when things, when you are concerned about certain things. Um, and appreciate and remember that you have a team who want you to do well and brag about you so don't be afraid to accept their help if you don't know how to address certain yeah that's that's really important isn't it so so people like liz and diego they want you to succeed firstly it's it's good for the university and it's good for them (laughs) but the nature of them and we all know them really well. We we know that they want to see you be the best that you are in terms of the work and research and stuff. Um, Steph. Yes. Advice to undergraduates just starting or thinking, and 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 maybe we'll come back to to each of you too in terms of you know if you want to do paleo, what what's what what's your advice? So, what what would you say to to undergraduates just starting? Um. I think definitely just like follow where like your passions end up because um, I start like when I started my uh, undergrad I already came in as a mature age student so I was sitting in a lecture theatre with some 17 year olds and I'm just like oh okay oops, <laughs> I'm that person now um, so it took me a little while to actually just kind of have the confidence in myself to start uni give it a try um, and I kind of wish that someone had told me like no like just go like what's the worst thing try it for six months and see how it goes um, but yeah so I originally started um, uni doing the Bachelor of Science in Wildlife Conservation Biology um, but as we were going through like I realised it was a lot more of the learning about like the past life and that that was really sparking my interest in like how that can then go into so many other avenues um you know like it can help for conservation it can you know so much further research to be done on it um you know uh, science like communication outreach and things like that um so i part way through actually changed my degree slightly to having the paleo um and evolutionary biology majors um so don't be afraid like to change it slightly follow you know what things are yeah sparking the most interest yeah and, and, and that's okay so so my sister started a bachelor of arts at mm-hmm. uni of adelaide and she was doing a history subject and an english subject and she picked up psych in the first year and this was never her plan the the particular lecturer that she had a guy called frank dial um he just had a way of inspiring and it just resonated with her and she went on and do to do like animal behaviour stuff at Adelaide Zoo, working with predators and in captivity. So how do you how do you have them not bored? So mm-hmm. piecing me on a flying so- fox. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Basically. But now she's a clinical psychologist. That was never the plan. But it, it, it's that thing, isn't it? It's that it's spark of interest that, that that whole approach that you've talked about, that you all talked about, that idea of try a thing, spend some time thinking, spend some time and stuff. Okay, we have, oh, around about a minute to go. Um, if you weren't doing what you're doing, in one sentence, what would you do? If there was something, if you couldn't be doing paleo, what would you do? Um... I'd probably go into, uh, so I'm already a vet nurse, but I'd probably go into wildlife vet nursing. Yeah. Specialty, so. Cool. That was Steph. For yes. Anybody with, yes. Um, Caitlin, what, is, is there, a, is there, was, is there a, was there ever a backup plan? No, the science was always the thing. I'm also quite into art, but I never wanted to make that a career because I didn't want to dull that, you know, interest and passion. So science was always the goal. Yeah. But, but. An understanding of art and, and playing with art. Yeah. You know, Liz and I have worked, Liz Reed and I have worked mm. on some really cool art science projects. Yeah. You know, so, so there's, a, there's a nice connection yeah. there. Yeah. Um, Isabella? I was planning to, um, I had a patch of time where I didn't think I could be a paleontologist, so I was actually going to go into forensics. Which I guess is... Which is paleontology, <laughs> is it? Like, it, it's, we always talk about it as, as, as CSI... Yeah. A, a, like a million years ago. Yeah. So it's pretty on brand still. <laughs> so that means we're at the end. Thank you so much, Steph, Caitlin, and Isabella, for sharing your stories. Um, and good luck in the PhDs and the honours and all of the things. It's time to spread some paleo jam.